reflect for a second back on what we heard Norm read this morning. In the Torah reading it said, The priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on, it, he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar and he'll, he shall put them beside the altar. Two verses following it says, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall not be put out. How many of you do campfires, barbecues, fireplace, and the like? What is it that happens if you do not remove the ashes? The fire is going to get burned out. It's going to get snuffed out. So it was a very important aspect of the priest's ministry that they were going to have to keep the ashes moving so they can keep the fire burning. They just kept the ashes and the, and the, the, burnt, the fat of the burnt offering piling up. They wouldn't be able to keep that fire burning. At some point, there'd be more ashes and they wouldn't be able to even put the, put the new wood on the fire. So that's something that's oftentimes overlooked. That the priest didn't just take the bull and slaughter it and cut it up and put it on the on the uh, altar he had to actually keep the altar cleaned as well so it was an ongoing thing so we find that in this week's parsha last week we talked about some of the various offerings the burnt offering the meal offering the peace offering this week we see some more talk about the offerings how they're supposed to be offered now how many of you realize that the ministry of the priest hasn't even started yet. This is a description of what they're supposed to do once their ministry starts. That happens in the next parsha after the Seder. But also in this parsha, we see where they were actually consecrated for ministry. But none of that has anything to do with what we're going to look at today. Because the day is Shabbat Haggadol, the great Sabbath. It's always a Shabbat just before Pesach. Now, what's significant about Shabbat Haggadol as com- when you compare it to Shabbat Shuvah? Those are traditionally the longest sermons of the year. And it's interesting when you think about it. They're on exact opposites of the calendar. They are half a year apart. So in many synagogues, not ours, uh, generally the senior rabbi, that's the only two sermons that he would preach during the year. He'd have his cantor or some of the, the, the other rabbis under him handle the weekly sermons. So you can imagine... Spending six months preparing for a sermon. He's got a lot of time to prepare that long sermon. So, are you ready for that long sermon? (laughs) So get comfortable, but maybe not too comfortable. If I hear snoring, I may throw the mic at you. I don't know. No, I will. If you, if you need to, you might want to go grab another cup of coffee uh, to help stay awake. This would be a good time to do that. As usual, 
at this time of year, I'm just kidding. I don't intend to make this extremely long. But, it, but I'm not in control. But the question might be asked, why, other than the fact that he has six months to prepare for it, why is this traditionally a long sermon at this time? Shabbat Hagadol is because there's so much stuff to talk about, about all the preparations that are made as we enter into this season. So there's a lot of things in there. If you read the parasha, which I know everybody reads the parasha every week, right? And if you don't, well, we'll talk later. But somebody asked me too, why we cut off the Haftarah where we did. One reason this week is really good because I'm going to focus on part of what we didn't read this morning. The other reason is I always encourage you to read the parasha every week so that whenever whoever the Aliyah is, they're only refreshing in your ears part of it. We don't want to go through the entire readings every week. So we just give a snapshot to remind you of what you read. So sometimes preparation is everything. How many have already bought everything they need for the Feast of Unleavened Bread? You bought your matzah, you bought your... See, I knew I was only going to get about half a dozen hands, that it was fewer than I thought. Many people wait till the last minute. What happens when you wait till the last minute and try to go to the store and buy matzah? They're either sold out or many merchants think that that's the only day, Passover, not, they don't think of unleavened bread, they pull it off the shelf and send it back to the warehouse. I've had to tell some of the stores, wait a minute, we're still consuming unleavened bread for the whole week, not just that day. Oh, they usually say, I didn't know that. So if you didn't already buy it, sometimes you might end up spending time going here and there and everywhere trying to find someone that still has matzah. One clue you might not think of, you can actually ask the manager if there is any still in the back waiting to be sent back. Oftentimes it's in the back, on a pallet, ready to go back, and you can still get some. Don't leave the store empty-handed if you haven't asked. It might be there. So... So it's not just, though, a week that's spent buying and cooking Passover meals. It's more importantly about our spiritual preparation. Being ready to receive from the Lord. One of the ways that we experience the feeling of the Passover story is by asking questions. We have the four questions that are asked. We also recall the same story, the Exodus story, the Passover story, however you want to refer to it, each and every year. Now, my question is, how many ways can you tell the same story over and over again? Sometimes it takes a little imagination. Sometimes as we have our home seders, we sit around, we talk with our family, our friends, 
And we ask questions. Some of the questions are old ones. Some of the questions are new questions. I love when it's a new question. But you know what may surprise you? I love when the new question is one I've never heard before that I don't have an answer to. I do love those because you know what that makes me do? It makes me go research it and study it. And I always tell people if I don't know the answer to something, I'll, I will look that up, I'll see what's going on there, and I will get back to you. I never make something up on the fly. I assure you that. So, as you know, again, there's four questions that the, usually the youngest person to the Seder will ask. And you may know this too. In Judaism, there's value in asking questions. And many times, the question is answered with a question. And it goes from question to question to question. You know what that does? It makes you think. And again, it makes you research and study. So, as we're looking ahead to our Passover Seder, it's exactly one week from this evening, I want to explore a set of four questions. And I want us to think about a few possible answers that I will offer and you may have other answers to the questions. They're not the typical Seder questions. Some are. The first question is this. What do we do with our chametz, our leavened products that we still have on our shelves? Or another way to ask that question is, what do we need to do to get ready? Well, if you haven't already, you only have 24 hours to get ready. The same way some of us wait long, too long to go buy the matzah and buy all these things that we need, only to discover that the matzah is gone from the stores, tradition also tells us we're supposed to search our homes and remove the last crumbs of chametz, of leaven. The Torah instructs us to eat unleavened bread during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which begins at Passover. And it says it's a reminder to us that we left Egypt in a hurry. The dough didn't have time enough to rise. Exodus chapter 12, 18 through 20 says, During the month, the first month of the evening, let me try that again. English is becoming my second language, I guess. During the first month in the evening of the 14th day of the month, you are to eat matzot until the evening of the 21st day of the month. For seven days, no chametz is to be found in your homes. For whoever eats chametz, that soul will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an outsider or one who is born in the land. You are to eat no chametz in all your houses. You are to eat matzot. Now, just like many things in Jewish tradition and custom, the rabbis came up with a detailed process of removing the chametz, to remove the leaven. Bedikat chametz is what it's called, the search for leaven. You know there's a blessing that is attached to that, right? I'm not going to go through the blessing. But that search for leaven is it's a careful way of searching any and all of the places where food was eaten or stored. Kind of like spring cleaning. The search even includes a ceremony where you take, go into all the nooks and crannies 
and look by candlelight at night before the Seder to make sure that everything is cleaned up. How many do that? I didn't think so. I use a flashlight sometimes. Now, one, one rabbi recalls that one of their sons asked if they were going to do that cool thing with the flashlight and spoon. First of all, I think that's really neat that this, the son was asking that kind of question. I thought it was cool that they come out with a flashlight and a spoon during the, the cleaning time. Because it is customary to go through the home and get those last crumbs out. See, after the physical act of removing the leaven, there comes a mental aspect. The chemetz is removed, and like everything else in Judaism, it's accompanied by a blessing. And it, this blessing makes a declaration that any chemetz that we may have inadvertently missed is to be treated as ownerless. It's not there anymore. If you happen to come across it later on during the week, it's already been taken care of. You're guilt-free. You covered yourself with the blessing. It's like it no longer exists. It allows us to enter Passover season without any guilt. But there's another aspect for the, to the cleaning out of our leaven in our homes. The search for leaven also has that spiritual meaning. Leaven, as we've talked about before, it symbolizes sin. It symbolizes arrogance. It's something that puffs us up. And it can cause us actually to look down on others. According to Rabbi Don Isaac Arbonal, on Pesach, which celebrates the rejection of Egyptian civilization and the new beginning of Jewish freedom, the matzah represents simplicity, a desirable spiritual quality. See, e eating the unleavened bread for a week, it's a reminder that we were slaves. But now we're no longer slaves, we're free. Second question. This one will sound familiar. It actually comes from the Seder, Haggadah. Why is this night different from all other nights? Well, in essence, this question is asking, what is different about this holiday and this time of year? Why do I do things differently? What's different about me? The question is really a question about identity. Where is your identity? The Exodus story becomes the ultimate narrative of our people. It's often referred to as the greatest story ever told. It's the story of our people, Jew and Gentile alike, since it was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. It's the story of a transition, our transition from slavery to freedom. And it should bind us together with common values, a common history, and a common experience. No, we weren't there for the original Exodus. We weren't there for the original Passover. But we remember those things each and every year at this time. We should remember these things as if we were there. Take a look at Moses. He grew up in and with two cultures. 
First was the Egyptian culture, where he was raised. And then later, the Hebrew culture, where his heritage was. And then he identified with that culture. Remember, Moses saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, who was one of his own kinsmen. He was forced to ask himself a question. Who am I? Then, when God called Moses from out of the burning bush, what was Moses' response? He named me. Here am I. Back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. By doing this, Moses affirmed his identity. He affirmed his place with the Israelites. Rabbi Daniel Hartman, who was the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute in Israel, wrote that the distinctiveness of Pesach lies not in its unique rituals, but in that it answers the question of who is a Jew. The exodus from Egypt was the founding moment of the Jewish people. We began as a people, even though we as yet had no land and no Torah. The majority were of little faith. What constituted our collective identity was our decision to affirm our membership in the people of Israel. The Seder evolved in order to keep us, help us relive the story of the Exodus. His father, Rabbi David Hartman, said that the Haggadah is not a prayer book or a revelation of the Word of God in which every word has, has to be uttered in its prescribed place. It's not a service to zoom through. Rather, it is meant to be a play in which we the people play very important roles. I like that because that's what we saw last year in our, at our Seder. The story was acted out in a play, in a skit. And it's going to be done so again this year. So the four children that asked those four questions in the Haggadah remind us that we all have a seat at the table. We should never leave ourselves out. We should always include ourselves and ask the question. Everybody has them. Trust me. So what is it that will make next Saturday night different? Well, we dip twice. We recline, at least metaphorically. If you want to bring a pillow, feel free to do so. It's going to be kind of hard in those chairs to recline in the, with your pillow. But if you want to do that, we're going to eat bitter herbs. And some satyrs even include gefilte fish. Ours will not. Well, unless somebody brings their own. Bring your own. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There will even be debates in some satyrs as to whether the matzah balls are supposed to sink or float. I, I researched it. It's true. There are arguments that may come about if your matzah ball is not floating. Hopefully, though, some of those customs will help us to feel and maybe even become different. We may even feel grateful to be part of the greatest story ever told, which we should. And maybe 
this is what the Lord's looking for. We might become like Moses and boldly say, Hineni, here am I. Use me. The third question. Why do we retell the same story year after year? The short answer is that Jews are the masters of repetition. In everything from reading the Torah from Genesis through Deuteronomy every year to reciting the same prayers every day and every week, the late Elie Wiesel said, Memories are not just what we own, but who we are. The biggest challenge to this question is how do we keep the story relevant with every telling? How do we keep those memories alive? How might we tell something so old in new ways? The traditional theme of the Haggadah comes when we say, Bechol dor vador, chayav adam lirot et atzmo kilu hu yatsa mitzrayim. In every generation, a person must view himself as if he had gone out of Egypt. How do we accomplish that? How do we make this story personal? to ourselves and to others at our tables. What are the ten plagues in our lives that have us afflicted today? Is there something in our lives that we're grateful for right now where we can say, Dayenu, it's enough. Recently, in the last several years, Some women have done just that with telling the Passover story in a new way from a female's perspective. They tell the story to include the women of the Exodus, like the midwives who went against Pharaoh's decree and actually saved Israelite children. They remember Miriam who led the women singing and dancing at the parting of the sea. It's just a couple of examples how some are going thinking outside of the box and are making the story new and fresh and alive. So it's a new perspective that they're coming out with as they prepare for Passover. And it serves as a reminder that in order to keep the story alive and relevant, we need to communicate the story differently for our children, our grandchildren, and our guests, they're coming for the first time, in order to keep them engaged in remembering. I mentioned it before, we're we're doing, we did something different last year, we're doing it again this year, is we're doing a play, a skit, as opposed to just telling the story in a dry, sometimes very boring way. So, as you celebrate and observe Passover, what are some of the ways you might retell the story and bring new life into your Passover Seder in your homes this week? You know, the sky's the limit. If you have a creative mind or someone you know has a creative mind and you incorporate their thoughts, 
You might even try new melodies to some of the old songs. You might even introduce new recipes into your Seder meal. Or maybe invite a new guest who has never been at your table before. And then consider how you can keep the children that may be at your table engaged. You keep their attention so that they hear what you're saying and they understand what you're saying. In Exodus 13:8, we read, You are to tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what Adonai did for me when I came out of Egypt. So how can we tell the story to the children so that they will continue to tell the story to others in the years to come? Just like everything else that has generational links, if it stops at any generation, it's gone. So the story has to be told to our children so that they will tell their children and so on and so on and so on. So it keeps being told each and every year. See, if you think about it, on Passover, we all should become storytellers. Again, it doesn't have to be in a dry way. Again, be imaginative. Change things a little bit, but get the points out. Make sure everything is covered. Finally, the fourth question. Why is it that we conclude the Seder with the words, L'shanab haba'ah b'erushalayim, next year in Jerusalem? You know, even in Jerusalem, they conclude the Seder with those words? Jerusalem, which means city of peace, represents the ultimate vision of peace. That's why they say it too. They know that they live in Jerusalem. They live in the city of peace. But they have no peace today. They look forward to that day when Messiah comes and brings peace. That being said, Jerusalem is not the key focus in that phrase. Instead, the word Haba'ah, which, means, which speaks to the future, next year. The Seder concludes with hope with optimism for the future. Our future. One of the highlights of the Seder is, as it's coming to a close, is when the door for Eli- door is open for Elijah. Because Elijah is supposed to be that prophet that's going to be the messenger of peace that's going to usher in the Messianic kingdom and bring Messiah. If you see Elijah walk through that door next Saturday night, then you know Messiah is not far behind. But what happens during that moment, those few moments? Everybody looks at the door. In some seders, what ends up happening is some of the children will look at the head table to see if anyone's taking a sip of Elijah's cup. I read where one rabbi had a child in his Seder who actually checked to see if there was anything missing. Walked up to the cup to see where it was filled to. So children, pay attention. Our Haftarah portion 
which is what, was, what came into question earlier today. Why was, why was it not read? Well, because I'm reading it right now. Because Malachi 3 is the Haftarah portion for Shabbat Hagadol. In verses 23 and 24, it says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. He will turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Else I will come and strike the land with utter destruction. I think it was important that those words were expressed that way. Because... I know how I can probably see most hands go up if anybody that anybody has children, where you've had disputes and arguments and breakups with your kids, and you've reached out to make that connection. Your heart is turned back to your children, but sometimes they're not. Their heart is not turned back to you. So it's important that it read that way. Elijah is going to come and turn hearts back to one another. There will be a restoration of the family units that are broken right now. David Hartman, Rabbi David Hartman also said, The Seder ends with a message of hope for the future. Passover is not about being, it's about becoming. I never stop learning, I never stop growing. None of us should. We should always be studying we should always be praying to bring ourselves to a new level of awareness, to a new level of spirituality. We should not stop just because we think we've reached a certain spot. Every day going forward should always be better than the day before. Passover is a season of turning, a season of rebirth. Passover becomes like opening the door to our future possibilities. What can we be? What will we be? But how will we get there? As he said, not about being, it's about becoming. What are we becoming? So on this Shabbat Haggadol and throughout the week coming up, ask yourselves these four questions. Not the same ones I just recited, Four questions. How are you going to remove your chametz, the leaven in your life? Secondly, how will you make your Passover experience different this year? Some have suggested changing which Haggadah you use. That's a way to change things. Especially if the wording is different. It could be a whole new experience. Number three, how can you tell an age-old story in new and exciting ways? Think outside the box. Done to music. Make it interesting. Make it captivating. And number four, how might you open your door and look towards your future? I mentioned the one, at least one way earlier, invite new people to your Seder table that have never, A, been to a Seder, or B, never been to your Seder. So I'm going to end by saying, Lashana Haba'ab Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem, 
Once upon a time, we were slaves. But now we've been set free. That is the greatest story that was ever told. But it's not the conclusion. The conclusion is that Messiah came, lived, died, and was resurrected so that all those who believe in him will be set free eternally. Chag Sameach. And have a blessed and joyful Passover. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you, we bless you, we magnify you because your goodness is overwhelming to us. We pray that we would be ready for this season. We pray that we will be ready if you decide to show up at our Seder. We pray that our hearts will be ready, that the leaven will be out of our lives, and that we can stand before you or kneel before you or fall on our faces before you guiltless. And that you would receive us in your grace and in your love. In Yeshua's name. Amen.